This is Echozoi Radio, episode 161 for September 2021 with Kofi Edubowen on Hey Guy. Welcome to Echo Zoe Radio, the podcast outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries, where you'll hear about important topics affecting the church today. Our primary goal is to explore a variety of issues while remaining faithful to God and His Word. Stay with us for the next hour as your host, Andy Olson, shares his conversation with this month's guest. Here's your host, Andy Olson. I'm Andy Olson. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. This is episode 161 for September 2021 with Kofi Edubowen, back with another interesting topic, the book of Haggai. Kofi is interim and, I believe, future pastor of Redeemer Bible Fellowship in Medford, Oregon. When I asked if he'd be up for doing another episode with me and if he might have an interesting topic, he offered up Haggai, which he'd been preaching through at church. I really enjoy getting into these lesser-discussed books of the Bible, so I love the idea. Show notes for this episode are available at echozoe.com slash 161. So because we're quite late this month again, in order to speed up the process and get the show up uh, so people can listen to it, the show notes are going to be light, at least initially, and hopefully I'll be able to come back in the coming weeks and fill them in. I'm also really excited to announce that Echozoe Ministries is now on Locals. You've heard me talking for the last several months about social media and being in limbo and not knowing what to do. Locals, I think, is a great answer. If you're not familiar with Locals, it's a community-based social media site that is very open, much like the big tech sites used to be. Locals seeks to compete most directly with Patreon, but don't let that scare you. It offers a lot more than Patreon offers. I like to think of it as being similar to Facebook organization or community pages, um, at least how they used to be when I was on Facebook about two years or more ago. So at Locals, members can post to the Locals community page and interact with comments and discussions. Uh, it's, it's got quite a community feel to it. Community page owners can post audio and video and even do live streams, which I think is kind of a, a cool feature. While Locals competes with Patreon, and thus is a place to offer creators paid support, you don't have to pay to be a member of most Locals communities. Content can be offered up on both sides of the paywall. Now, for, for now, uh, at least most of the content at the Echo Zoe Locals page will be on the free side of the paywall, but there does there are some plans to have stuff on the paid side also just as a thank you to those who do want to support uh, Echo Zoe financially. So this episode is a great example. If you're listening to the audio, you are I'm sure, and that's free is where you've always found it. But there is a raw version that I haven't edited. I just uh, Recorded it through StreamYard with Kofi, and I put that up on Locals. So if you're a paid supporter, you can watch this episode up at the Locals page. My goal on Locals is I really would like to get more. I'm more about getting the number of paid subscribers on board and not so much about the money that comes with that. If that makes sense, I'll try to explain here. So because I want more people and not necessarily more money, I'm giving some really serious thought to having a tiered rate system where it's $5 right now. And that's very typical 
uh, locals lets the creators set their price. Most pages that you're going to come across on locals are going to be $5 a month. So that's what it's at right now. But if, if we can get up past uh, 50 paid supporters, then I get, I reach the next tier and a whole bunch of stuff opens up a lot more features open up. I get higher quotas for what I can put for storage on there as far as audio and video files and whatnot. So if I can hit that 50 paid supporters mark where I am consistently at or above 50 people who are paid supporters, I think I could drop that down from $5 just down to, I, I, I'd really like to hit $2, but somewhere in the 2 to $3 range. And I think that would not only unlock all the features, but it would cover all of the basic ministry expenses for a whole year. If we get a, a year of consistent uh, membership at, at 50 or more members at just, like I said, 2 or $3 a month. And $2, I think, if I do my math right, once you get out, do uh, you take out the locals' fees and uh, Stripe as their engine behind the scenes for for payment? Um, once you take out the processing fees and the locals' fees and all that, I think that $2 gets down to about a dollar forty or a dollar. It's around, roughly the dollar forty range. The dollar forty times 50 times 12 would be the annual revenue. Uh, I have... Currently, at the time of this recording, I have a single $5 uh, subscriber, and I think I saw just over $4 of that, about $4, $4.08, 10 somewhere in there. So uh, really, it is about um, getting people. I really want, it's a great community-based website, and I want to build up a community. I want to offer some stuff there that I can't do elsewhere, and um, people are getting kind of weary of the big tech censorship and stuff. And they don't do that at locals. Really. It's up as long as you don't break the law, they're going to leave you alone. So through the end of September, also, if you sign up, use the pro promo code, I have a promo call code, uh, use a promo code housewarming for a free month behind the paywall. So if you're listening to this on or after October 1st, that won't be there anymore, but sign up as an unpaid member. If it's after October 1st in the month of October, 2021, uh, sign up as an unpaid member. I'll put a new promo code. I'll pin it to the top. And um, so you'll see that I'll put it in front of the paywall promo code so that you can get on there and get a free month to see behind the paywall. Um, if you don't sign up as a paid member, you'll, you can be on there and, and some stuff will be uh, visible. Um, typically what happens is when you're that stuff behind the paywall, it'll show you that, Hey, there's something here, but we can't let you see it because you didn't pay. And uh, it's very typical. And as far as members go, it's if you're a paid member, the way Locals works is you'd be able to post things there too. You're able to share and have a little bit of a community there and start discussions. There's comment sections and whatnot. And uh, posters, the people, who, whoever posts it gets to decide, do you want this to be front of the paywall or behind the paywall? Uh, it's really a neat site. So check out locals.com. And we're at echozoe.locals.com. So. Uh, something I'm really looking forward to. Again, I'm I'm more interested in getting a bunch of people on there. I want to build up a community, unlock some of those features. Less interested in the money, though. Um, obviously, that's helpful if we can get that on. I, I'm very uh, open to dropping that down. I think $2 is the minimum, so I can't go any lower than that. But $2 a month, if I can get 50 consistent every month, um, help me get to 50. I think it would be great and get those useful features, get ministry expenses paid and have a great cool community where we're not worried about posts getting taken down by big tech censorship. There's 
There's no fact checkers on there. There's no little tags about what the CDC says or, you know, that, that NASA proved that the earth is round or any of that garbage. It's just, it's a, it's like what you used to know for social media. But check us out at echozoe.locals.com. With that, here's my discussion with Kofi. Kofi, it's uh, great to have you back on the show. It looks like you're the, this is the fifth time, I think, that I've yes, had you. Yes, I'm number five, yep. We did Union with Christ, Discipleship, Colossians, Attributes of God, and now we're going to talk about Haggai. Yep, the book of Haggai. Well, Haggai, depending how you like to sound. Well, thanks. First of all, thanks for suggesting the topic. I It would not have been on my list to talk about the book of Haggai. Yep. Um, like I said, it, it seems to be like the last few episodes has been stuff that I've just been teaching. So, uh, yeah, but, I think that's right. Yeah. I think yeah, that's so right. Whatever's fresh on my you, mind, I like to talk you're about. You're kind of so. turning into one of the guests that I, I guess maybe call you a special class of guests. I like the guests that I can bring on and they bring a topic with them. And yep, <laughs> and <laughs> you've got, you're one of those that uh, Ryan Habana is another one has great topics. And so I, I have a special appreciation for you guys that, that uh, always have great topics to talk about. No, but before that. we jump into, Hey guy, I want to talk a little bit about where you've been since we talked attributes of God, because your life has been kind of flipped on end and, yeah, uh, very interesting. How how was that last year or so been for you? Yeah, well, thanks for asking. So September of yeah, last year is actually coming up on a year now. Uh, September of last year, we had a terrible wildfire here in Southern Oregon. Um, more or less took out two towns, uh, Phoenix and Talent. Um, my previous home was on the border of Medford and Talent, and we lost our home in that fire, unfortunately. And so uh, that house no longer exists, including the nice shed that we recorded the <laughs> last two episodes in. Uh, so in God's Providence, found a new place very quickly, moved in three weeks after losing our previous home. Oh, wow. And so we've been able, yeah, that's its own crazy story. But um, yeah, been able to rebuild, been able to get back into a new place. Thankfully, no one else we know lost homes in the fire, which is okay. a real blessing. Yeah. Um, none of our church was affected by it. I think at most, I think one family had to, leave the apartment complex for a couple of days, but that complex was fine. So um, that's been a blessing. Um, and yeah, that's been pretty much it for the last year, apart from, you know, still serving at my church. Well, you say pretty much it. Um, I mean, that's a big thing. I mean, I mean, it's a big thing. Yeah. But you know, in the grand scheme of things, we're all here. None of us were hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, well, it's not just the home though. I mean, I oh. assume that you lost all your personal belongings and, yeah, pretty much all our personal belongings, no library that, you know, I've been well, part of a library that I've been building for a long time and, you know, had to kind of start over again. But God's people were incredibly generous and, you know, mm-hmm. helped to get us back on our feet very, very quickly. You know, I can honestly say there was no point in that, you know, first three weeks to a month where, you know, we felt unprovided for awesome. you know, between family and friends and, you know, people even further afield you know, donating to us and helping us out. Um, we were very well taken care of by everyone. Awesome. So praise the Lord. Things have been good. And yeah. Wasn't that really all the kingdom on, is about? Like a bad memory. Yeah. So that's, isn't that all that the kingdom of God is really about? Well, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I, I came away very humbled by that time. Just, mm-hmm. you know, people that I didn't even know were reaching out saying, Oh, we heard, you know, we heard you lost your home. Here's this, here's this, you know, Publishers just started sending me boxes of material. <laughs> awesome. You know, it's like, 
oh, we heard you lost your home. It, it, you know, Banner of Truth, I have to give a shout out to them. Almost 300 pounds worth of books. Like, Oh, you say pounds. Yeah. You, you, I, you mean like no, weight, I mean right? literal weight. Like, yeah. Weight, not like you've got that yep. accent where <laughs> like, <laughs> you, know, you assume pounds means like money. No, not that one. Not, not that <laughs> okay. one. Like literal pounds. Um, you know, just the books. Just you know, it's like, oh, brother, we, we heard about this. We you know, don't want you to spend too much money on that. So you know, people were incredibly gracious. And yeah, it was a real awesome. moment of learning the importance of, you know, the family of God and you know, the body of Christ coming around us in really big ways. So really awesome. thankful for that. That's great. And uh, ministry wise, where have you been over the last year? So still here in Southern Oregon. Um, now, so I think last time we spoke, I was kind of like interim preacher guy. I think like, so. Something like that, yeah. um, so now I'm the pastoral candidate um, at the <laughs> church. Um, so a bit of an upgrade. Better <laughs> <laughs> how you look at it. Um, so I've yeah, been preaching pretty much every Sunday for the last year or so. Yeah, about a year or so and okay. kind of moving towards becoming the lead pastor of our church. Sounds like when you've reached that point, you're pretty much a shoe in for the job. All right. One can hope anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know our own pastor was uh, kind of had a, a somewhat similar experience getting in. You know, um, we had uh, Ryan Habana was our associate pastor years ago at the church that I go to. And he left to start his own church on the other side of town. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, so our church, our, our pastor, Eric Dalma came in as a new associate. And and then there were some issues in the church where they really needed somebody to step up. And he, he was uh, Mm -hmm. basically interim for a while there. And before Mm -hmm. you knew it, he was our, our pastor. Yeah. But the congregations gets used to their people and they would rather just kind of keep going the way they're going. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so hopefully that works out for you. I, I pray that so, it sounds like the uh, world's longest job interview kind of thing too. If you know anything about me, life is generally complicated like that. So I'm not too surprised. Yeah. Uh, so the topic, really start, the topic now, Hey guy comes out of that. I take it, right? Yep. I um, preached a four part sermon series through Haggai. Oh, when was that now? Let's see, uh, it was earlier on in the year. I'll definitely okay. say that much. So I did a f- short four-part series, and the reason it was four parts we'll get into. Um, but, you know, kind of as, you know, when you're preaching through a book or teaching through a book, you end up doing a bit of a deep dive through it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that was really the first time I had done a deep dive into Haggai. I'd heard, it, I'd heard it taught years ago and really enjoyed it. And so that's why I figured, okay, the themes that it covers was really were really relevant to the life of our church at that point. I you know, wanted to do more preaching and teaching out of the Old Testament. You know, it's a really short book. It's only two chapters, divides up really easily. It's like, yeah, th- I think this is the one. Mm-hmm. So ended up spending, you know, a month in that letter and really came to enjoy it. Actually, it's one I've gone back to my own personal reading and study a few times since then. Yeah, and I had to go back and reread it because it had been years since I'd read, you know, mm-hmm. a guy, um, my, you know, to be, be a little bit, uh, open book when it comes to that uh, devotional time. I've been a little bit off on that. I'm, I haven't done the whole yeah. like read through the Bible in quite a while, but uh, get a lot of my own devotions through sermons and, and homeschooling really has been very helpful mm-hmm. kind of walking through with my kids and, and stuff. But uh, the downside is that some of those books like Haggai, uh, some of those smaller books, both old and new Testament tend to take, 
take a back seat in some regards. So yeah, I had yeah. to go back and reread and, um, and, and right away, I, I guess I understood, Oh yeah, I can see what's going on here. Cause it was about five or six years ago. I did a similar dive, not maybe not quite as deep, but dive into Ezra and Nehemiah, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. are uh, contemporaries of Hagar. Yes. Yes. Same, same kind of time and, mm-hmm. and, and topic. So, uh, what what's the background then on Haggai? Sure. So Haggai is written some. So to give you to, to give our audience some context, so you have the you know nation being sent into exile, the southern kingdom. Nation goes into exile. I believe that's five eighty six thereabouts. Haggai, we actually can date very, very specifically because in the book you have these time markers that open up each prophecy. And so Haggai is written some 40 to 50 years on. It's about 520 BC after they've come back home. And so 520 BC, in this time, Jerusalem has been rebuilt, which is kind of what we read about in Nehemiah, mm-hmm. Ezra and Nehemiah. So Jerusalem's been rebuilt, its walls have been rebuilt, but the temple hasn't been rebuilt. And with the temple not being rebuilt, it's just kind of left there for quite some time. And it's not until um, God raises up Haggai and Zechariah and Malachi, who are often called the post-exilic prophets or the prophets of the restoration. Mm-hmm. It's as he raises up those prophets that the people are kind of brought back to themselves in terms of recognizing the need for the return of the temple, which really is the return of true worship in the nation. And Haggai in particular is very personal about that because particularly in chapter one, he gets to why it is that this hasn't been done. And it's not a lack of ability. It's because of apathy. And mm-hmm. that's really a big theme in the book. It's God essentially seeking to encourage his people to return to him, to come back to him and in coming back to him to recommit themselves, not just to the building of a building, but ultimately to true worship of him. And so that's really the background that you have in the nation of, in the nation of Israel as you come to the prophecy of Haggai. So there, there, it's all about rebuilding the temple. Yes, that's kind of the general theme here. And the temple really ends up becoming a, not so much a code as it were, because there are no codes in the Bible, but it becomes a picture not just of this building, but again, true worship. Mm-hmm. Also, I think one thing that I impressed on our people and I taught through Haggai is that there is a, what you have in Haggai is really the continuance of a theme that goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden, which is God's desire to dwell with his people. Mm -hmm. So even before the fall happens, you have, or after the fall, you have this, you know, little tidbit. It's almost one of those blink and you'll miss it moments where it says that God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with Adam and with Eve. Okay, why does the author of Genesis feel the need to tell us that? Well, that was part of God's original intention. And as you kind of fast forward through the Old Testament, so even in Exodus, God, why does God enact the plays and seek to bring out his people by a mighty hand? It's so that they would be with him. In fact, he says it multiple times. Let my people go that they may worship me. Well, didn't they worship him in Egypt? Well, they could. But no, he wants not just the general worship, but he wants proximity there's intimacy that god desires for his people mm-hmm. you know you get into the book of leviticus as i like to joke it's where lots of people's bible reading plans go to die <laughs> but it shouldn't 
Because if you understand Leviticus properly, it's really answering the question, how can a holy God live in the midst of an unholy people? Well, that's why God gives these laws. These laws are designed not to make them holy, but they're the demonstration of the holiness he desires for his people to have. And so all through the Bible, you see this theme of God dwelling with his people, which then gets localized in first the tabernacle and later the temple. And so when you come to Haggai, that biblical theological theme of God dwelling with his people, this idea of the temple where God is, now comes to the fore where, okay, the people have abandoned the temple. They have abandoned, really, the dwelling place of God with his people. So in chapter one, he'll say, we'll look at it in a bit more detail in a moment, you know, how can you live in your paneled houses when my house lies in ruin? You've got a place for you to live, but where am I supposed to live among you? And so as you come to the prophecy, this theme of the temple is much bigger than just the building. It's ultimately preparing a place for God to dwell among his people. And so really, like I said, the theme is about worship more than it is just about a building. And at that point, it begins to have connections with us in the New Testament era, where we are described as the temple of God, as we, where we are described as that house that is being built for God by his spirit so that he can dwell among his people. And so there's lessons that are transferable even to us in this new covenant era. Interesting. Um, I wanted to back up a little bit because um, I, I guess some of my questioning, some of my discussion direction might be more informed by that dive I did into Ezra. Mm-hmm. But there's a, there's, I mean, you, you, you definitely touched on way back Genesis and Leviticus, but mm-hmm. um, it's interesting. I thought it was interesting to trace the thread all the way through from that up until the exile and then through the exile in Babylon right up Mm -hmm. to the point of Cyrus being, uh, you know, decreeing you're going to go back now and you're going to rebuild your city and Mm -hmm. whatnot. Um, How much did you get into some of that background as to, like, what was the purpose of the exile to begin with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely touched on that. Um, So I think one of the things that, if you don't know your Old Testament very well, the exile seems like it's this big surprise. Mm -hmm. But if you know your Old Testament, the exile wasn't a surprise. God promised that, you know, essentially... He was the landlord. He owned the land. The people were tenants. And if the people failed on their covenant obligations, he would evict them from the land. He says this in Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28. Mm-hmm. And there is this one. In fact, it's interesting when Solomon dedicates the temple in First Kings chapter 8, and he prays that wonderful prayer of dedication. He says that if the people sin and they get scattered, well, why, why would he mention the people sinning and getting scattered? Well, Solomon was a good king. And he obeyed what Deuteronomy 17 said, which was that he was to write a copy of this law. So he knew what the covenant sanction was if the people disobeyed. He also knew the nature of the people that were more than likely, just like Moses said, they were more than likely to disobey. Mm -hmm. And so the exile happens not as a capricious whim on the part of God. but Actually, it's God being faithful to his covenant, even when his people are not faithful to the covenant. That's a, yeah, that's an interesting way to, to, describe that i mean that's definitely the case um there seems to be not only just faithfulness towards god but as a subset of that faithfulness this decree for having uh like they were commanded in their agricultural practices to have Mm -hmm. sabbath like sabbath years in the land you know Mm -hmm. we we kind of still practice that today in agriculture to some degree we do it more through crop rotation than through like Mm -hmm. fallowness but we do have you know fallow land 
practices as well and stuff, but mm-hmm. the people, and it ended up not doing that so much. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah. And you know, just to pick up on that, and even that's an act of unfaithfulness on the part of the people. It's an assumption that if we don't work the land, we won't be provided for rather mm-hmm. than realizing that, hold on, if God has said we should do this, God will provide for us. Mm-hmm. So even in their not practicing the land Sabbaths, which God, you're right, God does say explicitly, part of the reason he's sending them into exile for 70 years is that the land will finally get the rest it was supposed to get. Yeah. But, well, why did why was it that they kept on doing it? Well, it's a lack of faith in God. If we don't work the land, we don't eat. Rather than saying, well, hold on, God will provide for us if we are faithful to him. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and then, and and providing for them not just you know, not necessarily through supernatural means, but they're supposed mm-hmm. to work for six years and, and store mm-hmm. up, you know, as Joseph mm-hmm. did in Egypt, you know, where he mm-hmm. was told ahead of time through the, the dream that Pharaoh had that, um, you know, you're going to have seven, uh, seven great years and then seven famine years and store it up. Mm-hmm. So uh, a mm-hmm. demonstration right there that when you have your good years, you're, you need to save them up and, and you're not uh, in the Sabbath and the land you're not going to save up year for year. You're just going to save up six years for one year. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't even do that. They wouldn't, they wouldn't do that. Yep. Yep. You know, as I was putting this together, um, one of the quotes that I found really helpful um, was from Wilkinson and Boa's book, Talk Through the Bible, which is just a great little Bible survey. Okay. Um, they said this about Haggai's basic theme. They said, Haggai's basic theme is clear. The remnant must reorder its priorities and complete the temple before they can expect the blessing of God upon their efforts. Because of spiritual indifference, they fail to respond to God's attempt, attempts to get their attention. In their despondency, they did not realize that their hardships were divinely given symptoms of their spiritual disease. Haggai brought them to an understanding that circumstances become difficult when people place their own selfish interests before God's. When they put God first and seek to do his will, he will bring his people joy and prosperity. And I think that's a good summary of what we see as you read the letter of Haggai. That ultimately, it's a call really to reorient priorities, mm-hmm. not towards just a sort of superficial obedience, but towards a true heart obedience towards that which God had commanded. Isn't that just like the story of human history beginning to end, though? <laughs> I mean, really? yep, very much so. Very much so. <laughs> uh, and 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 I would almost tie that to when Jesus was asked, "What are what are the greatest of the commandments?" And Jesus said, "the the greatest is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the mm-hmm. second is to love your neighbor as yourself." But mm-hmm. I mean, that's a common thread throughout the Scripture. First, towards God, just put Him first, and then when it comes to your neighbor. I'm listening through uh, John MacArthur on, again on that uh, uh, kind of atypical devotional time. One of the things I'm doing is listening uh-huh. through John MacArthur preach on Philippi- Philippians. Uh-huh. And uh, it's been very fruitful for me on that one. And, um, but the, the thread there of um, putting others first, that's what love is when you put them first when you put yourself behind and, and uh, cater to their needs. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in a very real sense, this is one of the things I wanted to impress on our, you know, on the people who were hearing me preach through Haggai. That again, this is there's a way to read Haggai which can become very legalistic 
and mm-hmm. can become very self-centered. You know, you're not working hard enough. Work harder. Well, no, that's to miss the point entirely. Haggai assumes a covenantal relationship and that you understand the nature of the covenantal relationship. God had already enacted two great acts of deliverance for his people at this point. The Exodus. Some of that language is picked up a little bit in Haggai. But also the deliverance from the captivity. He brought them back into the land. God had been gracious to them, and it's out of that graciousness that he calls them to prioritize him. It's not do this and live as much as this is what I have done, therefore will you live in light of that. And I think if you, like I said, if you read Haggai with a sort of, you need to kind of pull up your your bootstraps, excuse me, and do better, you're going to miss the heart of this letter because really, this is a gentle encouragement from God. Even with some of the very pointed things he says, it's still a gentle encouragement from God for his people to return to him as their first priority. It's not, you need to work harder and do better. Um, let me walk you through how I broke down the letter, the prophecy, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And then we can kind of look at some of the big themes in each of those sections. That yeah, might that be, a, very be a good manageable way to do it. Sure. So, um, Haggai is a very easy book to outline because its outline is built into the book. So mm-hmm. let me, in fact. And it's like you said at the beginning, it's yeah. two chapters. So. Yep. Two chapters. It's a short book. Up, uh, where is. Good thing I had Logos open already. <laughs> we'd, we'd be waiting all day otherwise. Yep. Um, that was one, just as a side note, one benefit of the house file. Yeah. I finally invested in a good Logos package. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, just in case. As long as you um, remember your password, you won't lose that one, right? <laughs> well, I use that password for everything. So <laughs> oh, don't tell the world that. <laughs> well, true. But I, I have one of those one password type things, so good luck getting through that one. Uh, sure. Hang, Haggai chapter one. Um, if you read it, it says, in the second year of King Darius, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible, by the way. Uh-huh. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of Yahweh came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, the high priest. So there's your first section. It's yep. dated for you. And, yep. and because those dates are so specific, we know what they are. So prophecy number one comes to us. It's August 29th, 520 BC. August? Or you come to chapter 29th, 520 BC. Oh, that you is, that is, uh, I, I mean, I, I figured you'd get it within uh, maybe a few months, but down to the day. No, is... we can very accurately. Uh, yeah. It's quite impressive how history works that way. Uh, we can't even date the birth yeah. of Christ that, <laughs> that, that accurately. I got chapter two, so chapter two, verse one, you get another date. So yep. on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came to the prophet Haggai. That's October 17th, 520. So a few months has passed between prophecy number one and prophecy number two. Mm-hmm. Prophecies three and four come on the same day. So you look at chapter 2, verse 10. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of Yahweh came to the prophet Haggai. December the 18th, 520. You look down at 220, same thing. The word of Lord came to ha- of Yahweh, excuse me, came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. So you've got two prophecies that day. Mm-hmm. And so there's your, that's your outline of the book right there. Ch- chapter 1, it's its own unit. 
mm-hmm. chapter two, verses one through nine. And then you have chapter two from verse 10 through 20. And then chapter 10 through 19, excuse me. And then chapter two, verse 20 through to 23. That's the shortest of the four prophecies. Mm-hmm. And that's your outline of the book. Simple. In chapter, yeah, very, very simple. In chapter one, you have basically the call to rebuild the temple. So that's your first big section. Mm-hmm. And it's there where God gets to the heart of the problem. That the problem of the people is spiritual apathy. In fact, that's why I titled the first message in the series, Defeating Spiritual Apathy, because that's the heart of this first section. So well, that's your uh, Jonathan Edwards, your Stephen Lawson sermon, your... Uh, <laughs> your uh... <laughs> you see what I'm getting something, at? Something like fiery, that. I mean, the fiery sermon that gets everybody to go home so, and say, I'm going to, yeah, I'm on fire. Let's do this. Well, so this is kind of a painful <laughs> but fun story. So I preached this sermon. It's a Sunday. Monday morning, the other co-leader of our church plant says, you know, I was listening to that sermon. It kind of, you know, got me thinking. There was some other stuff going on, which I won't go into. Mm-hmm. But he was like, um, my wife and I decided to resign our membership because I, like you said, I need to, we, like, like you mentioned in the message, consider your ways. I'm like, did I just preach someone out the church? <laughs> like, seriously? <laughs> I mean, I didn't in hindsight. There was some other stuff going on, but sure. I mean, th- if you're not careful, this is the kind of passage that you can look at and it can end up being the sort of, yeah, the Jonathan Ed- Edwards, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God mm-hmm. type thing. But I think what, I found was as I started to break the passage down and start to do the sort of exegetical work to prepare the sermon, you begin to pick up on the fact that it's God says some really pointed things in chapter one. So for example, chapter one, verses three and four, he says, scroll up here in uh, Logos, here we are. He says, so the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. He says, is it time for you to live in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins. Now, paneled houses were a sign of luxury in those days. Because in the ancient world, you had your houses that were basically fired mud brick. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the houses would then be overlaid with various materials to make it look a little nicer. And if you had a little money, what you would do is, kind of like we do today in some houses, you put some wood paneling over it. Make it look a lot nicer than just some concrete or whatever. Well, that's what they would do. Now, the process took time and it didn't really do anything for the house. It just made it look nice. Mm-hmm. It was really a cosmetic process. But they had time to do that and to make their houses look really nice. Meanwhile, literally up on a hill, because if you remember the, you have you been to Jerusalem or uh, yeah. you know somebody's been? Yep. Okay. So, you know, the Temple Mount is literally up on a hill. Yep. compared to the rest of the city. So like up on a hill was this building that's clearly in ruins where everyone else's houses look really, really nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a very graphic word picture, like almost as though God is kind of sitting outside his house saying, hmm, nice house you got there. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, his house is a total wreck. What's really fascinating about this, and as I was studying it, um, I'd heard someone say this in a sermon years ago, and I kind of kind of tweaked my mind. I was like, okay, I need to go back and um, dig that out. What's really fascinating about this is if you jump down to chapter one, verse eight, or verse seven, 
So chapter one, verse seven, it says, Yahweh of all me says this, think carefully about your ways. Go up into the hills, bring down lumber and build the house, and I will be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. Now, prior to digging into it, when I was just kind of reading through Haggai in preparation, I was like, okay, well, they, I mean, they went up the, to the mountain the first time to go get wood. God tells them basically to go again. Except if you've read Ezra, if you, particularly if you've read Ezra, you should say, wait a minute. Ezra chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, and Ezra 6, 3 through 5. One of the things that Cyrus gave them was wood mm -hmm. for the rebuilding of the temple. He gave them a lot. That was. He uh, gave them a ton. Yeah. <laughs> like you said that you do the mess, and it's like, whoa. That well, he was... took up collection amongst the Babylonian mm -hmm. uh, population and the Medo Persian population and sent them on mm -hmm. their way. Yep. So he gave them a great deal. Mm -hmm. So the question is. Where did it all go? The I think the unspoken implication in Haggai is they built their own houses. People spent on it on their own houses, yep. which again adds even it adds even more graphic detail to this already somewhat horrifying picture. God's house is in ruins. The very stuff that was given to build God's house got spent on their houses. And it's interesting, this time God doesn't say he's going to provide again. He says, no, this time you climb a mountain and go get it. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, a little side question here. Uh, you know, it's been, like I said, it's been probably six years I was going to do a big deep dive into Ezra. Never got past mm -hmm. the introduction because I was doing a lot of the background stuff, researching mm -hmm. stuff. And, but one of the questions that popped up in my own research on Ezra was this, uh, and we brought up Cyrus and then. Um, you know, mm -hmm. verse one, chapter one here talks about Darius mm -hmm. and I never really got it resolved. Were Cyrus and Darius the same person or different people? I mean, there was a lot of, um, stuff I was reading that suggested that one might be more of a title and the other be a name, or it could have been two different people. Didn't seem clear. And the reason yes, I ask I, is because yeah. mm -hmm. because you also had mentioned that they've been back in Jerusalem for a while now, so there's a mm -hmm. time gap here too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I did read a good bit of the background on that, and I never really resolved that for myself. Mm -hmm. Just again, just the great you know grind of sermon preparation. You have to think about how deeply do I want to go into. Yeah, sermon. exactly. And so I was like, okay, let me not resolve that for now, um, and. I never really go back to resolving. <laughs> um, so that is something that I, I did. In fact, I see a little flag in my logo say, oh, I left the note saying I need to come back to that. Um, so I'll let you know when I come back. To okay. It. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm wondering, and, and not this, not that this is a, this is kind of a rhetorical question, not that you'd know the answer to this, but um, you know, that, that God here through Haggai is saying, Hey, where's, you know, You've been back here a while. When are you going to get around to building that house over there, that mm -hmm. temple? But wouldn't you also have the guy who sent him with the means, the, the the king, the emperor, also maybe coming along saying, hey, you know, I took up a collection for you. I mm -hmm. I made royal decrees. Go back and rebuild this. Mm -hmm. What are you doing mm -hmm. here? You know, would, would not the emperor, wouldn't Darius also kind of feel a little slighted? Like, you were supposed to build a, a temple for your all your people. And it looks mm -hmm. like you use that stuff to build yourself fancy houses. Yep. Yep. I, I think that is a very good logical deduction to make. That no doubt someone had to be asking. 
I mean, this is an empire that, by all accounts, was run, if you know some of the history, was run somewhat meticulously. Everything was accounted for. Mm-hmm. They weren't kind of like the Babylonians in this regard, who were very lavish. You know, everything was kind of accounted for down to the penny. Mm-hmm. So, you know what? I, I don't doubt for a second that, if not the king directly, he's sending people and saying, what's the deal with this construction project? And again, you kind of get an insight into the heart of the people because they just keep saying, it's not time. It's not time. And obviously time just keeps ticking along, ticking along until things are where they are in Haggai. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the other thing I thought was interesting in that study was seeing that uh, on one hand, it's interesting, Cyrus was named by name in Isaiah Mm -hmm. 170 years before he was born, if I remember correctly. Mm -hmm. He Mm -hmm. wasn't. He he was it was long before he was born. He was named by name. You can see in uh-huh. Isaiah where it, it calls him Cyrus. And and Daniel walked that up and showed that to him. Like, look, this is what my God has said. You're you're here, you know. Uh-huh. Uh he decreed that you would be king. And uh-huh. of course Cyrus was was quite impressed with that. That oh, your God's pretty good. You know, he he named me my name hundreds of years ago and and uh-huh. uh you're claiming he set me up. Now, he wasn't obviously a believer. And uh-huh. and by sending the Jews back to Jerusalem, this wasn't a unique thing. He did this with all of the conquered people. Yes. But he, he was very much like, we want you to continue living your life and your culture. You know, we're going to rule over you, but we want, you know, we're not going to be authoritarian in that regard. You know, uh-huh. you can have your beliefs, you can have your customs, you can have what you want. And so the Jews were not unique in this and being sent no. back to their homeland and being told to, you know, build their 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 homelands back up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um just being cognizant of time, I think one of the yep. the big takeaway I think from the that first prophecy is I think one thing that struck me as well when I read it, one, that God is keenly aware of what's happening because he says, you know, so chapter one, nine through eleven, he says you expected much, then it amounted to little. When you brought your harvest into the house, I ruined it. Why? This is the declaration of Yahweh of armies. Because my house still lies in ruins while each of you is busy with his own house. So on your account, the skies have withheld the dew and the land its crops. I have summoned a drought on the fields and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the fresh oil, and whatever the ground yields, on people and on animals, and all that your hands produce. So again, here's this language, covenant language. It's again pulling on the Viscus 26, Deuteronomy 18, saying, listen, you're on the same road that you were before the exile. Mm-hmm which itself is an interesting lesson in human nature, that give it enough time, we revert back to mm. unrighteous thinking rather than righteous thinking. Yep. But what's interesting I is... I think there's a reason why they, yeah. they're often yeah. called a stiff-necked, a stiff-necked people. Indeed. Not no. that they're any, any different than the rest of us, but... No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the second big thing, and we'll use this to transition into the second prophecy, in mm-hmm. verse 12, it says, Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and the entire remnants of the people obeyed Yahweh their God and the words of the prophet Haggai, because Yahweh their God had sent him. So the people feared the Lord. Verse 13, Then Haggai, Yahweh's messenger, delivered Yahweh's message to the people. I am with you. This is Yahweh's declaration. So as the people hear this, they obey, they, they fear the Lord, like, oh, okay, we've kind of come back to ourselves. And so the text says the people feared the Lord. It's interesting. It doesn't say that, okay, they did what he said. 
because again, the focus of Haggai is not just on quote unquote doing stuff. It's on a heart relationship. Mm -hmm. And now they had gotten it. Now they realize, okay, we need to actually obey the Lord and do what he says from the heart. It starts with the fear of the Lord that then manifests itself in saying, okay, we're going to go about this. And so then that leads you into chapter two. So whereas chapter one is primarily focused on the... Slapping them in the reality. Yeah, basically. (laughs) The call to rebuild the temple. By the time you come to chapter two, they've started, but something's happened again. And the tone is different. Yes, they've kind of stopped working. But this time it's not apathy that's the problem. It's disappointment. There's a despondency that's crept in. There's a sense in which they're looking at this and saying, oh, this isn't going to be as good as last time. And so chapter 2, verse 1, on the, 20th, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of Yahweh came to the prophet Haggai, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and to the remnant of the people, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you in comparison? So they're looking at this and they're like, oh, this isn't as good as last time. Like last time the building was I mean, think about it. Solomon's temple. That thing was amazing. It was wonderful. It was great. I believe it's again in the book of Ezra when you read it. I think it's Ezra chapter 3 that when they, and Ezra chapter 3 is written a little further ahead in this story. When they rebuild the temple, some of the older generation weeps. Why are they weeping? Because the older generation remembered the, you know, for lack of a better term, the glitz and the glamour of Solomon's temple, and this ain't that. Uh-huh. <laughs> this isn't even close to that. And God recognizes that. And I think that's a wonderful thing that God doesn't dismiss their discouragement. He acknowledges it. He says, How does it look to you? He's like, It doesn't look like much, does it? And he doesn't say they're wrong. He acknowledges, Oh, they, they feel this. You know, I think one of the things I wrote in my you know, sort of prep notes that I was putting it together was that whereas in chapter one, God deals with apathy and apathy is inexcusable. Mm-hmm. In chapter two, where he deals with discouragement, he treats it as inevitable, but not incurable. The people are going to be discouraged. They didn't have all the wealth and resource of Solomon's temple. And I think that's a lesson that we can learn from the prophecy of Haggai that first and foremost, I think I titled this second message, um, laying hold of God's power and promises. And I said, that, you know, the first step to, you know, laying hold of his power and promises is acknowledging that we need his provision. You know, as human beings, you know, we can be very tempted to a measure of, you know, we can be tempted to a measure of self-sufficiency you know, I can do it by myself. I don't need anyone to help me. But I think the reality is if you don't recognize you need provision, if you don't recognize that you need God's help, you're not in a position to accept it. Right. And God is gracious because he doesn't scold the people in their discouragement. He comes alongside them in that moment of weakness. And so that's why I said, that, again, the tone shifts from chapter one where it's God basically in front of the people 
kind of pointing at them to coming alongside them mm-hmm. and helping them to realize, okay, you can get through this. So you come to chapter two, verse four, he says, even so, again, he acknowledges, okay, you're discouraged. You have every reason to be from a human perspective. Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is Yahweh's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. And that's the three big groups in Haggai. You have Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of King Jehoiachin, if I remember correctly. He is part of the royal line. You have Joshua. And Zerubbabel is also the governor appointed by the Medo-Persian government. You have Joshua, son of Jehoshaphat, who's the high priest. And then you have the people. So you've got civil leadership, religious leadership, the rest of the people. Mm-hmm. And God addresses all of them and says, be strong. Verse four, what? For I am with you. The declaration of Yahweh of armies. God says, yes, I understand you're discouraged, but your discouragement shouldn't stop you from working. He says, for I am with you. And here's the beautiful thing. Like I said, you can't disconnect Haggai from understanding God's covenant because in verse five of chapter two, he says, this is the promise I made to you when you came up, when you came out of Egypt and my spirit is present among you, don't be afraid. Well, God had promised his presence, presence to the people all the way back in the Exodus. So whether it's I, some of the references I wrote down, Deuteronomy 31, 23, Joshua 1, 9, 1 Chronicles 22, 13, they all come back to this theme of being strong in light of God's presence. Exodus chapter 33 you know, Moses goes before the Lord and says, listen, I can't go- lead these people unless you go with me. And God says, listen, my presence will go with you and you will have rest. That, listen, just as you've come out of, and I think this is one of the interesting little parallels, just as you've come out of exile and my promises, I'll be with you. That was my promise I made to Israel when they came out of Egypt, when they came out of the house of bondage. My promises, I, my promise was I would be with them. The situation may be a little different, but it's somewhat the same. And in both instances, God says, I will be with you. Mm -hmm. You know, the reality is just on a point of application. I think, you know, reality is we're all going to face discouragement at some point, even when it comes to spiritual things. You know, we shouldn't hide from it. I think at times Christians can have a little bit too much of the spiritual equivalent of a stiff upper lip. I can say that coming from the UK. No, we shouldn't hide from discouragement. But at the same time, we shouldn't wallow in it. You know, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13 tells us to literally act like men, to be courageous. But we can't do that in ourselves because, again, it starts with God's provision and and it continues with God's promise. And then finally, you have the promise of God's power in verses 6 through 9. So God says that, you know, verses six and seven, he would judge the nations, that language of shaking, which becomes very important in Agai. Mm-hmm. It'll come up again and again. Um, and again, even that's a parallel back to the Exodus generation. So Exodus nineteen eighteen, God comes down upon the mountain, the mountain shakes and there's thunderings and no one's allowed to come near the mountain. The psalmist pick this, picks this up in Psalm 68 and Psalm 114. So again, God is, in, his, in essence, he's reminding them of his power as he acted in their previous generations. Like, listen, I'm the same God today. I shook the earth then and I can shake the earth now. 
that should give you confidence as you go into this project of building this temple. And really what Haggai does is he extends from his day all the way to the end where God fulfills all of his promises. I know we don't want to go down the rabbit trail of eschatology this <laughs> afternoon, but there is a future more distant fulfillment of this. And Hebrews 12 picks up on this language of the shaking of things in heaven and on earth as referring to the shaking of earthly kingdoms and the establishment of God's eternal kingdom. And so even in their present circumstance, they're supposed to look past that and look to God's ultimate fulfillment of all of his promises. And the implication is if he's going to do that at the end, he's able to fulfill his promise in the here and now, which is where verses seven and eight go. He says, I will, so end of verse seven, he says, and I will fill this house of glory, says Yahweh of armies. The silver and the gold belong to me. This is the declaration of Lord of armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first. So there's a promise of final blessing there. And I take the view that, that when he talks about this final glory, well, this, was, this is the temple. Yes, later, a little bit more embellished by Herod, but it's essentially the same temple mm-hmm. that Jesus himself will walk into. Yep. Whereas the people saw a cloud in Solomon's temple, in 1 Kings chapter 8, when the cloud fills the temple, no one's able to worship. God himself and the person of his son would walk into that temple. In a very real sense, the glory of this temple would be greater than the latter one. In the first temple, you had a symbol of God's presence. In this temple, God himself will actually be present. And so that's designed to, again, encourage these people as they go into this project. That then leads into... Yeah, the third. Uh, yeah. That leads into chapter 2, verses 10 through 19. That's the third prophecy. Where, which is the third prophecy. And at this point, you start to know a bit of a pattern in these prophecies. So chapter one is a rebuke. Mm-hmm. Chapter two, one through nine is an encouragement. But when you come to chapter two, verses 10 through 19, you go back to rebuke. So you have a pattern of rebuke, encouragement, rebuke. Mm-hmm. And the rebuke in chapter Two from verse 10 through 14 is about the impurity of the people. So God uses this illustration. If a man is carrying um, consecrated meat, meat that has been set apart for the purpose of worship, he's carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, um, food, does it become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these, does it become defiled? The priest answered, it becomes defiled. In other words, you can't pass on holiness, but you can, but you can pass on, at least in the ceremonial law, you can pass on contamination. Mm-hmm. Verse 14. Then Haggai replied, so is this people and so is this nation before me. This is Yahweh's declaration. And so is every work of their hands. Even what they offer there is defiled. So God basically says, the people's offering has become defiled. Well, hold on. We're moving a little further along in this story. What's going on here? How is it that the people's work has become defiled again? That's a question. It is a good question. And as I was kind of putting this together, I had to wrestle with that one because it's like, okay, how did we get from there to here? And this is where I kind of landed with this and a couple of resources 
uh, helped me out with this. I think when God talks about their work being defiled, I think he's talking about the state of their hearts in that moment. Mm-hmm. It's not that they're doing anything ritually defiling. Well, that would be consistent that, with what Jesus says later about what, yes. what defiles a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In fact, um, I think it's the CSB study Bible and in their note, they put it like this. They say this late, this phrase, so is his people indicates that these people in Jerusalem will not become holy simply by touching the holy temple while rebuilding it. God wants people to have holy hearts. He is less concerned with the construction of holy buildings. Yeah, that's now, what I said. Heart, given, yeah. given what we were talking mm-hmm. about earlier with mm-hmm. them seeing the disappointment in how this second temple's coming together, yeah. that would that'd be entirely consistent. Mm-hmm. And so that begs the question, okay, how is that unholy though? Because again, we think about holiness and our tendency about holiness is to say, well, holiness is about doing good things versus, not necessarily. The idea of holiness here is separation. And a sense of, otherness that you're set apart in other words it's about devotion the people were not 100 percent devoted to this mission there was still parts of them that was like is this still a good idea is this a good use of our time is this what we should be doing and god basically says listen you're defiling the work you're doing <laughs> that you trying to build the temple doesn't make it a good thing if your hearts are not truly set apart for the lord as you're doing this you know um the new international commentary on Haggai and Malachi, which is which is actually very good on this book. I highly recommend it. Okay. Um, they put it like this, quote, disobedience is the main reason for God's displeasure in their sacrifices. Salvation and blessing can only be expected when the Lord receives and retains the place of honor in the midst of the people. In this respect, Haggai is in full accord with the criticism of the pre-exilic prophets concerning a sacrificial system and practice which does not comply with the covenant relationship with the Lord. That's the defilement that God's talking about here. That God doesn't just want, this is one of the points of application I made to the folks at Redeemer when I preach this. Mm-hmm. That God is not in the business of busy work, just being busy for busy sake. If you need a New Testament understanding of that, yep. I refer you to Revelation 2, 1 through 7 and what he says to the church in Ephesus. Jesus says, I know you work. Oh, you, you're working hard. I know you work. You've lost your first love. Yep. You know, that itself is a very frightening passage. Yes. (laughs) He's like, I know your work. I know your labor. I know your endurance. You can't tolerate evil people. You test those who call themselves apostles and are not. Like, you're doing lots of stuff. It looks good. A lot of good looking stuff. Yeah. It costs for effort. But I have this against you. That butt should scare everyone. Yeah, that, yep. (laughs) Like, oh boy. But I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. Mm-hmm. Why didn't Jesus say, well, you know, it's interesting. Jesus doesn't say, that's good stuff. He says, but I have this against you. He, says, he just notes it and says, yeah, but. <laughs> Why? Because even in the new covenant, God still desires heart religion from his people. Mm-hmm. Just going through the motions isn't enough. Yep. Uh, and just to kind to- of remind them of, yeah. Oh, I was going to say, just in the interest of time, I, I know we've we've got a little bit of a time crunch. Oh, got yep. So uh, I, I I have a question at the end, but in order to get to the okay. end question, I want to get through that last prophecy. Yeah, absolutely. Let me get to that. Here we go. So basically how that prophecy ends is God basically reminding them, listen, this is what your impurity cost you last time. He doesn't say he's going to do it again. He simply just says, remember what happened last time? Refer back to chapter one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
This is what happened. You don't want this again. Think long and hard about that. Well, apparently God had more to say because you have a second prophecy, chapter 2, verse 20. The word of Yahweh came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day. The same day. Same day. December 18th, 520. It's the same day. Is it going to follow that same rebuke, encouragement, rebuke, and then back to encouragement? Yep. On the same so day? Yep. On the same day. The <laughs> yes. Here's the encouragement. So it's interesting. This time, God doesn't speak to the whole nation. He speaks to Zerubbabel, verse 21. He was the governor. Mm-hmm. So he speaks to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. He says, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. Verse 21, I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall each by his brother's sword. Well, we said we didn't want to go down the rabbit hole of eschatology, but this is one of those times where even when I was teaching, I had to a little bit. Because I I would argue that what he's talking about here, and we're both pre rough guys, so yep. we kind of have our understanding on this one. I think he's talking about the day of the Lord in this point. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm thinking too. Yeah, the day of the Lord. And it's interesting, across the eschatological spectrum, when I looked at commentaries, they all agreed. This is a reference to the day of the Lord. Now, they may not agree what the day of the Lord is, mm-hmm. but they all agree that this is pointing to it. Yeah, and it just seems and, odd that this yeah. would be, why is this tucked in at the end of Haggai when the whole thing has been about the rebuilding of the temple? Now, all of a sudden, mm-hmm. this last few yep. verses is is about a time so far future that, uh, that they're not going to see it in their lifetime for sure. Agreed. We'll get to that real quickly. <laughs> I think part of the reason why this is here is God is giving his people an eternal perspective. Mm-hmm. I think at times as human beings, our you know, tendency is to kind of get very blinkered on where we are in the here and now. Well, God doesn't live in the here and now. Right. You know, God sees all things. He's eternal. He's above time. And so what God is doing is saying, okay, for these people who are discouraged, because remember, this is same day. He's rebuking them for their sort of divided hearts. He's already talked to them a few months prior about their discouragement. He's already started off by talking about their apathy. He's giving them some eternal perspective. Think beyond where you are right now and get get to thinking about what's you know, God's grand plan is all about. Ultimately, you know, the nations around you that you see, and this is where I think some of that background in Nehemiah was some of that persecution and stuff that took place. You can imagine this is still in the back of the minds of these people. Mm-hmm. He's like, don't worry about that. These, you see these kingdoms you see around today? They won't be here. Again, it's very similar language to what Moses says um, when the children, come, children of Israel come out of Egypt and they can see the Egyptians coming. He's like, you know, essentially take a look at them. The Egyptians you see today, you won't see any more. And I think this is like times a thousand of that. Mm-hmm. That the nations that you see around you, they're temporary. Their day is coming. Then verse 23 happens, which that took me some time to kind of work through. Mm. Because he says, on that day, which is day of the Lord language. Yeah. So on that day, this is the declaration of Yahweh of armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant. This is Yahweh's declaration. And make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. Well, hold on. If we're talking about the final end time day of the Lord, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel won't be there. But I think 
what we're this seeing is, here is kind, kind, yes the kind of language that we see in the prophets where they'll talk about david but it's not mm-hmm. david they're talking about ultimately it's david's great descendant and i think the clue that i kind of honed in on when i was studying this was the face is Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant pulling back to that servant language that we have right. in the servant songs in isaiah and he says, I'll make you like my signet ring. What's fascinating is Jehoiachin was a bad king. And one of the things that God promised about Jehoiachin was that he would remove him as his signet ring. But here now is a descendant of his, Zerubbabel, being saying, I will make you like my signet ring. Why I've chosen you. Well, interestingly, you get to Matthew chapter one, you read that genealogy. Zerubbabel's in that list. Mm-hmm. He's mentioned as one of Christ's descendants. And I think ultimately what God is doing is he's using Zerubbabel as a type and preparing us and preparing his audience for the fact that there will be a future descendant of Zerubbabel who when this day of the Lord takes place and the kingdom of God is established, he will be like a signet ring. He will bear the authority of God himself because God has chosen him. And so the book ends on a very triumphant note as God tries to remind his people that, look, the things of this world are passing away. So look to God's kingdom. And I think that's a great way to end Haggai because again, this is a book not just about a building, but it's ultimately about God's purposes in the world, which will ultimately come to fulfillment in Jesus. Awesome. Awesome. Um, I had that little brief question. I know we're coming right up on uh, our time, time limits here, but um, I, I was just curious what your thoughts would be on how this might transpose itself on modern Israel. In that that God has given them their land back. They're back in the land now. Mm -hmm. They they don't Mm -hmm. have a temple. Now, Mm -hmm. um, I mean, we we have a different mindset being that we see things through the eyes of having Messiah come and gone and and Mm -hmm. coming again. But how might those who reject Messiah look at this? I've always wondered, like, why are they not so insistent on having a temple there? They seem to be building towards that, but. But, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's like, that's like central to Judaism is having a sacrificial system and they Mm -hmm. haven't had that since Jesus time. Yeah, that's a very good question. You know, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, that is a very good question. Because they seem to be living over in Israel, much like, like these people were at the beginning of Haggai, where Mm -hmm. they they built their houses and they're enjoying their life. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, well, whatever. Yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that, but might think about that for the next time I see track. All right, Kofi. Well, uh, once again, thanks so much for being with me again. And um, awesome. Uh, I, got a, I had a rough time at the beginning just knowing how, how to interact on this, but thank you so much. I think once we got going and the the outline you gave us sure simplified it for me too. So cool book. I appreciate it. Very yeah. cool. I, mean, and, I really enjoyed preaching it. And, you know, preaching the Old Testament is hard as it is. Uh-huh. But I think when you kind of get the big picture of what's going on and, you know, when, you be, when you're able to start tying it all together and realizing, oh, this is not disconnected from the rest of the Old Testament or even the New Testament from that matter. Mm-hmm. You know, when you start to think of it that way, this book really opens up and there's some really powerful lessons that we can learn yeah. from it. And, and I had a similar experience going through Ezra too that, you know, when, mm-hmm. I, when I decided to take that on, it was similar to Haggai where I hadn't read it in a long time. I couldn't remember what it was about, what time. I, I mean, it was, it had been so long. I, I can, 
kind of completely lost track of anything to do with Ezra. And, and as I dug in, it was really a joy to to see the threads that start at the garden and then they go all the way through to Messiah, really. I mean, mm-hmm. when you carry through Absolutely. and, uh, and, it, and it, I, I really enjoy getting into kind of these smaller, lesser known books. And there seems to be more of them in the Old Testament than there is in, mm-hmm. in the new. But mm-hmm. um, this is definitely, you know, I knew I'd enjoy it when you said, hey, guy. For that reason. Well, I hope it's helpful for everyone who's listening. Cool. Well, thanks so much. And um, I, I want to respect your time. I know you've got an appointment coming up. So uh, I think the timing worked perfect. So it was good. But, oh, dude, but absolutely. Thank you for that. All right. Echo Zoe Radio is an outreach of Echo Zoe Ministries. If you are blessed by the show, please consider offering your support. There are many things you can do to help, including prayer, sharing the show with others, and your financial support. Echo Zoe Ministries is a registered nonprofit organization with 501c3 tax-exempt status, and your donations are tax-deductible. For more information about how you can support Echo Zoe Ministries, please visit echozoe.com support. That wraps up episode 161. Thanks for listening to Echo Zoe Radio. And for show notes, check uh, echozoe.com slash 161. Also, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, don't forget to check out the new Echo Zoe Ministries Locals page at echozoe.locals.com. That's L-O-C-A-L-S dot com. You can support the ministry there as well as interact with the community. And again, we just um, I, I really want to get to 50 people if we can do that, 50 paid supporters, and would love to drop the price down when that happens you can check it out for free if you sign up and use the promo code housewarming for the rest of september if you're listening in october sign up as an unpaid member check the pin comment at the top i'll have a new promo code where you can get a free month and take a look behind the paywall help us build a community i think it'd be really cool to have a bunch of people on there a bunch of believers and uh we can share different things and uh, it'd be a great little uh community we can have to interact with each other with that lord billing we'll be back next month with the october episode of echo radio 